From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Clarence Bethia is the founder and CEO of Upsea, a warranty app designed to make it easier and more affordable to protect your purchases. Founded in Minneapolis in 2015, Upsea was selected for Target's Techstars Incubator program and since then has grown 300% each year and raised $8.6 million. Just like Casper disrupted the mattress industry, Clarence says Upsea is disrupting the outdated business of warranties. But Clarence himself is disrupting the the world of startups. He didn't start out with the typical connections or pedigree. Fast Company went so far as to suggest that Upsy would have raised more money by now if not for the fact that Clarence is black and lives in Minnesota rather than on the coasts. Meanwhile, Clarence and Upsy have attracted a lot of national media attention, and if there's a business list to get on, he's probably been on it. 40 Under 40, Minnesota Tech Hustler of the Year, Techni Awards, Eureka Awards, semifinalists in the Minnesota Cup. His story gets at the heart of what it means to be an entrepreneur and create your own opportunities. Thanks for being here, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I um, I only met you recently, and that was after many people said, you need to meet Clarence. You need to meet Clarence. If you want to know what's going on in the tech scene and the startup world, you need to meet Clarence. So I'm so fortunate to have met you. Same here. Fortunate you're, to, you're, to have met you. You're kind of a rock star. No. Yes. No. And you've been in the news lately, not just on the cover of Twin Cities Business, which actually was about mentorship, yes. um, but also because you just raised another round. Ref- round of money. Yep, correct. Congratulations on that. I appreciate it. So we'll get to all that, but let's, can we, can we go back? And I know you've told the story before, Mm -hmm. but it, but it is, do do you get tired of being asked about your childhood? No, not really. It's it's who I am. So I I appreciate the question. Well, then tell us a little bit about who you are and how that led you to becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, so as you said before, like my background is not very traditional um, when it comes to startup. Um, I'm originally from Decatur, Georgia, so which is about 10 minutes outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, my joke is that you know I'm, I'm from the hood. I'm a hood kid um, that got really, really fortunate. Um, so you know I, I grew up doing all the typical hood kid stuff. You know, selling dope. Uh, I grew up in a family that was very, very dysfunctional, um, and you know at that point in my life, it's just all about survival. Um, and so I, I tell people like I survived that so I could probably survive this startup hmm. <laughs> ecosystem. Um, and, you know, it just really came up in, in a way that, you know, wasn't traditional. And that was, um, you know, a lot of brokenness. Yeah. And um, so it, it took me a lot of adult years and a lot of therapy um, to get past that, to get to where I'm at today. But well, was there a, a turning point or a mentor or how did you get on the college path? Yeah, so yeah, while I was also this um, uh, kid doing the wrong thing, um, I was also a really good basketball player. Mm. And so you know, I was a guy that would go play a basketball game and then go to the streets. And so fortunately I had coaches who wanted me to keep playing basketball. So they were like, hey, we got to make sure you at least come to three classes a day and, and, and all of that. So um, there was people throughout the journey that was like there for me, 
and I was just a, I was I was just broken. You know, when you come from you know broken situation, most of the time you're going to end up broken yeah. yourself. So um, really broken and just really trying to find a way. Um, it wasn't until I became an adult and kind of out in the world um, that you know I kind of met the right person at the right time um, that gave me the confidence that that I needed to kind of turn my life around. So, but you did get to college. I did get to college, yes. And that was to play basketball. Yep. So first I went to a junior college in Kansas, but as I said, I was I was broken and undisciplined. So went to college for, got two months, three months, and then got kicked out. Then went to another junior college in the same state and got kicked out. Um, and did you did you care at that point? No. I mean, were you thinking like what you were going to do? Were you, no. were you dealing drugs at that point? No, at, at that point I wasn't. Um, I was just... I think I was searching for something, but I didn't know what I was searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know if that was like love, if I didn't know if that was confidence. I, I didn't know what that was. I was just like, oh, okay, they're kicking me out. So eh, I'm going to go back at home. You know, mm-hmm. And I remember going home um, and my mom was staying in a friend's house that the house was, I mean, if it wasn't like ready to go under, it was it was close. And I remember sleeping on, on the floor in her room on top of like garbage bags that were filled with bags of clothes. Mm. And it was like roaches running all over the place. And it was like, it was just, that's what it was. And unfortunately my junior college coach, my last one ended up becoming the head coach at Bemidji State University. And so he was like, hey, look, I, I know you've been kicked out. I know you're like, like, we're gonna get you on the right path if you come here. So I went that semester and went there to, to play college basketball, but I had to sit a semester. Um, he was like, hey, if you make a 2.5 GPA or more, I'll let you play the following year. Um, and I ended up making a 3.5 GPA. It was the first time I actually sat down and did some work and applied myself. What clicked for you? What made you finally apply I wanted yourself? to play basketball. Ah. <laughs> I wanted to play that next year. We had a really good team. Um, and so I, I sat down and did some work, and you know I didn't have the pressure of basketball to worry about. So getting up at five a.m. in the morning and the whole team dynamic stuff that happens. And so I think I just applied myself for the first time in my life, and I made really good grades. And I remember him getting up at the banquet at the end of the year and saying, "Clarence have, you know, has never done any work in his life, and he just made a three point five GPA." I remember feeling so proud mm-hmm. that he even would recognize that I wasn't technically on the team at that point. Um, and I was like, God, like when I apply myself, yeah, you know, I can actually do something. Um, and then the play the the next year or part of the next year, and I was just like, I'm not into this basketball stuff. My mind wasn't there. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember leaving to go work, and I was working. And that's where I was getting my fulfillment at, like going to work, making an honest paycheck. What were you doing? Where, um, where were you so I was doing like group homework up in Bemidji. Um, a friend of mine let me stay in his basement and work for his company that he had where he was working with vulnerable adults. And I really loved that. I loved working with people that you know, like needed my help and um, needed me to to be there for them every day. You you create this bond, you know, about a month in, like, hey, I'm going to be here mm. and I'm going to be here for you every day. And so I, not only did I work at one of them, I worked at two of them. So I was working 16 hours a day and I had, you know, go home, sleep for hour, eight hours and then do it again. And still and in school, st- taking no, classes? No, no, I'm not even oh. in school. So I'm out of school. Oh, this like, is no after one. you've graduated. No, I haven't graduated. I just, <laughs> I just stopped. Oh, okay. I, just stopped. I was like, I don't I don't want to play basketball anymore. I don't want to do school anymore. I just want to go and make money and work. Okay. Um, but I stayed in Bemidji because that's where my roots were sure. at that time. Um, and so, yeah, I just worked and worked and worked and, and made good money. And, you know, again, starting to feel this sense of, 
God, I can, I can be responsible. I can do these things. I remember I had gotten a car. I had started doing the things that kind of normal people were, were doing. Uh-huh. Probably when they were 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I started doing it when I was 21 years old. Um, and yeah, so I stayed in Bemidji for a while. Then moved down to the cities. Um, so you didn't finish college? I didn't finish college, no. Okay. How When you moved down to the cities, what was your first move? Did you have any idea what you wanted to, to do career-wise? Yeah, so I was still working at a group home here in the city. So because I had that experience there... I found a group home down sure. here to work for, make a little bit more money. Um, I remember I was staying in uh, Shakopee, and the group home was in Brooklyn Center. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand the distance because I never lived in Minnesota. So I didn't understand that literally it was an hour drive every single yeah. day. Um, and so then I moved from that to working at a trucking company for a guy. And that guy gave me an opportunity that I still don't think I deserved at the time. He was running a trucking company. He said, hey, we got these trucks. He was like, do you know what a boom truck is? And what a boom truck is, it, it takes sheetrock and put it on the second floor of a house. So it actually booms the, the sheetrock up. Okay. And he was like, hey, I want to teach you how to do this. There's a ton of money here. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let's learn. And for about six to eight months, I just rode with him in the trucks, helped him carry sheetrock inside the house, um, and then moved from there. He said, hey, I'm, I'm moving back to Pittsburgh would love for you to run the trucking company. So I remember we had three trucks. It was just him and I and another guy. He said, I would love for you to run this. He's like, but you need to go get your license. And it's probably going to take you two or three times to get your license um, because like driving, get your CDLs is really, really tough thing to do. Um, I'm like, okay. I said, I'll go get them, but I'm going to pass the first time. And I remember it was a joke. I was like, I'm going to pass the first time. And he's like, Clarence, you're not going to pass the first time. Like that, that's not how this goes. Um, and I went and passed the first time. I only got one thing wrong doing the test. And you I like remember, a challenge. Yeah, I like a challenge. So um, I remember coming back to him with with the the yellow sheet, and I said, "Hey, like, like here." I was like, "I passed, so now I can drive a truck." And he was like, "No, you didn't." I was like, "Yes, I did." And I showed him the test. He was like, "You only got one thing wrong." I said, "Yeah, I shouldn't have got that thing wrong." <laughs> and and he was like, "All right, like, let's get you, you know, training to the, to to do it." So um, did that with him for a few months, and then he left. Um, and then I. Managed our whole trucking company. I tripled our revenue in one year um, by moving us to a different partner. Um, and he came back. He's like, like, holy cow! Like you, <laughs> you've kind of turned this business in a different direction. And what again, it, it was just one of those moments. I was like, wow! Like when when I'm able to do things, I can do them. Yeah, just keep discovering your potential, right. which is growing. What did you like about that business? Um, the money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, um, I made more money than I at that time. I made more money than I thought I had. I had ever made in my life legally because mm-hmm. even <laughs> when I was at the um, group homes, yeah, I think I was making like forty grand, forty five grand a year, which was yeah, to me was great, yeah. honest money. Um, and this was making a lot more than that. And the the harder you work, the more money you made. So I liked that. Like, hey, if I worked. You know, an extra two hours a day, I made an extra two hours worth of money. Sure. Um, and so I, I enjoyed the money. Um, I enjoyed the the leadership opportunity that he gave me. Um, so it wasn't actually the trucking business. Like you met really cool people, and you know, you were you were putting sheetrock in multi million dollar homes all around the state. But it was it was it was the money, and it was the opportunity to lead that I really enjoyed. So how long did you stick with it? And was it while you were doing that that you got the idea for Upsy? No. So I, I did that. And the economy crashed in 2008. 
So no more houses being built. Nobody's adding on decks and porches. So our business went from that you know tripling revenue to back to the original revenue and then almost dying. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, it's time to find my next thing. At that time, I met a former NBA guy at a gym. He was opening a place called 43 Hoops. Um, and it was just a basketball facility where kids can come and train. Yeah, my kids um, have gone to birthday oh, parties they, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I literally put down the floor in that place. Um, so he started it. I was the only sales guy. Um, we went to from zero to about $1.5 million in revenue. And and I was again, I was like, oh, wow, like I can – I can talk to people. I can get people to kind of come off their money for mm-hmm. me, and which was a cool skill to, to even know that I had. Um, but I look back. It's funny. I look back to me growing up as a 14-year-old young man, you know, selling nickel bags of weed. It was the same skill. It's just a different product. <laughs> right. um, so I, I learned, like, valuable lessons there. Um, they ended up leaving there, did a company called Second Chance, which was about taking former incarcerated men and women and putting them to fortune 500 companies and um, that was really a passion for mine because i come from that environment i come from brokenness i come from jail and juvenile so i was like you know i've been given these opportunities let me help others did you it. ever get in trouble with the law oh yeah yeah i've been more times than i like to count yeah. when you were in 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 atlanta in georgia or? yeah and, uh, everywhere i've been i got in trouble with the oh, law and okay. i've made mistakes um which is why I'm so passionate about second chances for other people. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so you did this this other business, and what happened with that? Yeah, so I uh, worked at the gym for two years and then transitioned out, did the second chance staffing. Um, that failed, um, and so I had raised, you know, like $125,000 from uh, somebody to do it, um, and it failed. And it was probably one of the most heartbreaking moments I ever had because I had other people money mm. and I was failing. Um, how did you even know how to raise money? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, it was it was relationship driven check. I knew his son. I met him. He believed in the vision of Upsy. Um, you know, he is an older gentleman, so I had great success through his whole life. Um, and so I think a hundred twenty five thousand dollar check to him was like. You know, like mm-hmm. almost like kind of charity a little bit. Like if I lose this, my life is not going to change any. Um, and I appreciate him taking like that chance on me. Um, and he's actually an inv- investor in Upsy today. So you actually read up. <laughs> so he he was an investor, though, in your previous yes. venture Correct. that that didn't work. OK, Correct. so that fails. And, you know, a lot of times people say you learn as much from a failure as you do from a success. Correct. What did you I mean, obviously, you, you established that you know how to raise money. Right. Um, what else did you learn from that um, failure? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of things. I think I learned about just like the formation of a business and and like also what not to do was really important to me. So who not to work with, who's not the people to have around you. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I learned those lessons just as much as I learned you know, the other lessons. So um, did that and was fortunate enough to be. You know, you talk about that moment in your life where. Like you meet the right person that kind of changed the direction of your life. Um, and that, that was kind of that moment through Second Chance where I met a Fortune 500, Fortune 50 CEO here in town. Um, he was COO at the time, moved to COO. Um, and just, and I still remember the day he kind of gave me the confidence. I felt like like I needed to to get to whatever level I was going to get to. Hmm. Um, and What did he say? What did he, was it just that he, he believed in you or did he... Yeah, so quick story. So I'm working at the gym. His sons are there. Um, actually, two of his sons, three of his sons, go, all three of his sons went to St. Thomas. Oh. Um, and so um, he, he we were talking one day, and he's like, hey, man, like I see something. And he was like, wait, why don't you come by for lunch? So 
I remember thinking I was so naive. I was like, sure, like whatever. I didn't know who he was. Like at when I was at Forty Three Hoops, we were charging forty to eighty dollars an hour to come and train. And so the people that could afford that were executives, you know, people who had sure. the money to afford that. And so our whole gym was made up of just CEOs, VPs, execs at all the Fortune 500 companies that yeah. play basketball. Their kids. Yeah, their, their kids was there. And so you, you ran into a lot of interesting folks who you would see in the gym and then a week later you see them on front of the paper. <laughs> uh, it, it was just it was crazy. And so um, went over to um, their corporate office. And I remember sitting in the lunchroom. And he was just like, hey, man, like, you have so many skills. You know, every time I come to 43 Hoops, you're there. Every time, you know, I, I have a question about something, you're there. I see how the parents treat you. Like, you just have this special thing with people. Um, he's like, I can teach you the business side of things. Hmm. But the people part of this and the the, the stuff that you can't we can't teach you, um, he's like, you have in spades. And so he was like, I really love to like mentor you and, and wow. be a mentor. So um, he was my mentor for about nine and a half years. Um, and I learned so many lessons and, and, and had so many opportunities to be in a room with people that, you know, you, you only see on TV and in a room with these folks and, and really learning a lot from them. So I'm super thankful for that relationship. Well, no wonder you're so passionate about mentorship. Yes. And and paying it back. Because yep. I know, I mean, you now mentor many yes. others who are yes. starting things. Um, so so you got that confidence. You're you're working on the skills, but you still have to have the business idea. Correct. You knew you wanted to start something of your own. Yep. How did it how did you get to warranties? Yeah. So while I was being mentored by this guy, um, I got a chance to see the warranty industry kind of behind the scenes. So um, I remember asking him, I'm like, hey, why do you charge X amount for something that costs way less than that? And I remember the whole conversation was behind that. You know, th- the world is moving towards a consumer-focused world. You know, you talked about Casper. You you talked about, you know, Airbnb. We talked about these companies sure. that are built on solving problems for consumers. And I remember looking at the warranty industry and saying, God, like, it's high-priced on purpose because they can, because consumers are naive to how it really works. Um there's no transparency, so you're at the register. You never really know what you're buying, and then service. When they ask if you want like that extended yes. service yes. contract, yes, yes. Do you want to buy this warranty? You never get to ask. Well, what's covered, or what am I supposed to do? Or is there another option? You know, you offering me a five years or a three year, um, and then the third was service. And as we started to poll consumers, service started with, well, you know, when I need to make a claim, I don't even know where my receipt is, mm-hmm. and so. We said, like, why not solve these three problems that are consumer-focused problems and see what happened? And so the idea came from this, hey, let's serve consumers and let's see what happens down down the line. Um, little do I, did I know, um, I didn't even understand, like, the magnitude and how big the industry was um, until we started to go out and talk to insurance players who we needed to back us. And they would literally like kick us out of their office. Like one kicked us out in the rain. I still remember like being at this big company in this big marble room. Like the walls were marble mm-hmm. and it was raining like crazy outside. And we started talking about what we were doing. I remember my, my guy who's the CEO of Curb Crowds of the Day. So they were like our first investors, first partners in this. And I remember like these guys just stopping the meeting when we told them what we wanted to do. But yeah, yeah, not interested. You guys need to go. And literally, like, it's raining outside. We're, we have um, garbage uh, bags mm-hmm. over us because we got on suits 
and ties. Sure. And we got garbage bags over. And we're like, and you can't put a garbage. I mean, like, I'm a pretty big dude, right? So, like, we can only put a garbage bag over a certain point. I remember. They didn't we, care. They didn't care. It was just like, you need to go. Yeah. Um, and that's when we knew. We were like, we, guys, we got something. Like, if they, so they want to kick us out. So you feel that they did that because this was threatening? Oh, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. They, we, we Everybody we went to talk to for about three and a half years just kicked us out of his office. He just said, nope, you're trying to disrupt the industry and we're making you know millions and billions of dollars um, and you're trying to do it differently. And I'm like, yeah, like we're trying to do it for consumers. We thought that the whole consumer speech behind, you know, like if consumers love the product, they'll buy more. So this industry will actually get bigger and it'd be good for all of us. Nope, it was get out of my office. Wow. So I assume that made you even more driven it pissed me to off. do this. Yes. <laughs> But okay, so it's taking a long time. Mm-hmm. What are, what are you doing for money while you're having all these conversations and getting rejected? Yeah, you know what? That's why you got to marry, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, fortunately, like my wife is corporate, and so um, you know she's always like climbed the corporate ladder. So as we were going through kind of all these businesses and figuring it out, um, I had a, a, a phenomenal woman at home who was kind of like, I believe that you're going to figure it out. Um, and I'll make sure it's support. So it was just her and I at the time. Hmm. Um, she was like, I got you back. And wow. so um, who you marry, so entrepreneurs, who your spouse is, is is probably more important than what your business is. Wow, that's really interesting. And I mean, it is such a personal thing because when you're an entrepreneur, it's 24-7. Did you ever think as you were getting you know, mentored and, and getting this positive feedback and you'd run things successfully, did you ever think about just going and getting one of those corporate jobs? Yeah, like, I think when you're in the hard times, the truth is, I think everybody thinks about like, I could just go get a job at Target and be just fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem pulls at you so much, and pulls at you know every every being of you, your heart, your soul. You know, you wake up thinking about it, you go sleep thinking about it. So I think for me, like why I had those thoughts. It was, it was it was never realistic. It was more like, hey, let's talk about this because it sounds cool. You think you were born to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, if you look at me at 14 years old selling nickel bags of weeds on the corner, like that's a that's an entrepreneurial brain, right? Um, so yeah, I think like my heart and soul is built to build something mm-hmm. big. Um, and my, my heart is for people, so I think I'm gonna always be in the people business. So, what was the turning point for Upsy? When how did you, how did you figure this out? Yeah, um, that's why I wore the TechStars shirt today. Um, TechStars, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I, I think you know. So we launched in 2015 in beta. We came out of beta in 2016. Um, again, I'm not a, a, a marketer. I'm not a coder. I'm not none of that is in my background, right? I'm more just I just hustle. And um, but the fundamentals you need to actually do a tech business is totally different. So um, it wasn't until we got into tech stars and because before that we were we were kind of just like doing things because it felt right. Who's the we? You had partners. Um, so so no so so me and employee number one, which is uh, Katie Long. So I actually wrote a post about her on on LinkedIn the other day um, that talked about like how much I, I cared about her because when we were at our worst, um, she stayed around. When I couldn't pay her, she stayed around. Um, and those um, 
like those employees are so important to the company. Um, so it was it was just her and I like trying to figure this thing out. And we you know yeah you, you have people come on the boat and off the boat throughout right. the process, but but you have but you have this idea, yeah. but it's a long way from that idea to doing anything. I mean, you have to create the technology, but yeah. also in the warranty business. I mean, didn't you have to have insurance partners Correct. or big amounts of money? So how did did you have any of that stuff before you headed into the TechStars Incubator program? Yes. So when we launched, so you can launch a product without an insurance partner. Unfortunately, like I said before, I, I had. Um, a friend who their company is an investor in us. They they built out the first iteration of tech for us. Okay. Um, it was super like junior, but like it was a product that we can put in front of consumers and get feedback from. So our MVP. Um, and then so we had at the time we had an insurance partner that wasn't very good, but we needed an insurance partner to do some of the work. Sure. Um, so we we brought them on. Um, and luckily we like we figured out that they couldn't do what we needed them to do. So we we made a transition to a. a a much bigger one who actually told us no actually came back and saw us in market and said, wow, like we really think what you're doing is the right thing. We end up talking for a year and then we end up transitioning to them. So, you know, I always talk about God's timing is the right timing. Mm -hmm. Um, It was definitely that with, with these guys. So, Hmm. so yes, before we went to TechStars, we had a good foundation from a product and from an insurance standpoint, we just didn't know what to do after that. So we didn't understand marketing. We didn't understand um, OKRs and KPIs and how to measure your business. We didn't understand any of that. Um, So the turning point was when we got into TechStars and we started getting taught those things. So it was like, we were just emotional. We want to save consumer money and do the right thing to, yeah, but this is the data we need to be able to do it long term. So um, Techstars was, was a huge turning point for us. For anyone who doesn't know what Techstars is, can you just explain yes. a little bit how that works? Yeah, so Techstars is the number one accelerator program in the world. Um, they have classes that are sponsored. Most of their classes are sponsored by um, big corporate companies um, and they just teach you everything from how to form your business to how to measure your business to how to go IPO so uh, I think they say the accumulation of the businesses that they've invested in today are worth 80 billion dollars in the market how far along I mean for anyone thinking they'd love to get their idea into Techstars how far along do you need to be to to get in you know so it really depends on the class and and, uh, the managing director Um, in our class we had companies that didn't have a, a product built yet they just had a great idea and got in um, to, I think last year they had, a, they had a company that were generating like five to $10 million in revenue that got in. So hmm. they, they, they want you, you know, they want to believe in the founders. They want to believe in your mission. Um, then wherever you're at on that spectrum, I think they'll let you in. And for you, what do you think it was that, that attracted their interest? Was it you? Was it the idea? Yeah. So I, I think it was probably 75% Clarence and 25% idea. I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, I actually had my son, my second kid, on the same day that I had my final interview with Techstars. So you go through the interview process, it's, it, they go from like 5,000 like potential companies to 17. And um, my, my interview was on the 18th. Well, me and my wife went to the hospital on the 17th. The doctor was like, yeah, the baby's coming. <laughs> and, and the... Um, my appointment was at, I think it was 11 o'clock that day, 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. And at about 9.30, the doctor's like, hey, he's coming. Here he comes. And so I'm thinking, like, I'm, I'm looking at my wife while she's sitting there. I'm like, How fast can you do like, this? Yeah, like, like <laughs> we got to go. And so I, I email uh, Ryan Brochard and, and Sarah, and I say, hey, look, my wife's having a baby right now. 
Like, I don't know what to do. There's a one o'clock appointment on the schedule that's still open. So I think I'm just going to like take that time slot. And they email back and they say, no, like, don't come. Don't worry about it. Like, we're going to judge you equally. And I said, to hell you are. I'm coming. <laughs> I am coming to this thing. Like, And so baby comes at 1034. We do the whole crying, laughing, you know, kissing, <laughs> all that stuff to do. Yeah. Whole family's in the room. You know, I wipe my eyes at 1230. I'm like, I got to go. So I hop in the car. They're still in the delivery room. My wife's getting sold up. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm gone. And your wife is cool with this. My, no. <laughs> no, she's not. She's not super cool with this. But she also, I think she gets me. Right. Mm-hmm. And like when you've been with somebody as long as we've been together, you just tend to get like, this is him. Right. Mm-hmm. He's going to go do this. So I get there, you know, five minutes till I go into it and, and I walk in the room and everybody stands up and claps. So, it's, you know, it's like. 15 people in the room. It's target people, tech stars people, um, associates, everybody in the room. And they, they get up and clap and they're like, like, we don't believe you even came to this. <laughs> and and I know for me, like, I tend to be tired until it's showtime. Uh-huh. So I walk in the room, they're cheering, I go in, I do the interview, I walk out, my wife's like, how do you think it went? I was like, you know what, like, for, for everything we just went through the last 48 hours, I feel like I did my job. And if we don't get in, we don't get in, right? Um, well, I got a call a week later and they were like, hey, you're in. Um, and I, and I, so like you go through the program, we have a great time in the program. We feel like we, we, we did what we needed to do. Um, and I remember Brian, Ryan Brochard, we sat, we sat down and he says, he's the head of the he's the head program. Of, yeah, head of the program. And he sits down with me. He said, Hey man, he's like, when you came in and you did that with us, you, you literally had a kid an hour and a half before. <laughs> um, he was like, when you walked out, everybody in the room looked at each other was like, yeah, we got to let him in. Like. There's no choice but to let that guy in. Like, if 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 he will sacrifice what he just sacrificed to come in this room to pitch to us and then kill the pitch, that's the kind of founders we want here. And mm-hmm. I didn't find that out until, like, two years later. So Memorable. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really memorable. So, um, th- like, that's what I believe. I believe in, you know, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you might want well to do it at the, at the highest level. So when you got out of that program, what was Upsy having success or did it happen after that? When when did you start really getting traction? You know, it was, it was the first week out the program, uh, first week into program when I knew, like, I remember turning to Katie and saying, Katie, if we just do what we do, mm-hmm. which was we're going to work hard, we're going to learn as much as possible, we're going to be humble, we're going to do all those things. But if we just do what we do, like, there's an opportunity for us to, like, have success. And, like, we really started to see ourselves, like, we can be a successful company. You operate on your own. So, like, walk me through it. Like, I I walk into to Best Buy yep. and I buy a TV. And instead of taking the warranty that they offer me, I can yep. download Upsy and get my own warranty through you yep so you don't even have to download so 85 percent of our customers originate on our website so the app is just a utility for us that some like millennials really like to use but like we have customers all over the board so most of our customers come through our website but yeah you can you can go in the store all you gotta do is tell them no thank you and when you go home you get up to 60 days after your purchase and we feel like that's really important so you can do it on your time when you feel comfortable and not feel forced at the register. Um, so you would just, um, you know, tell us the brand, tell us the, the make and the model, tell us all the information. We'll give you pricing. Once you give us that price, once we give you that pricing, take a picture of your receipt, give us the information, you're done. So it's literally like 
30 second deal. And I and that's going to do what for me? If my TV breaks, are you going to replace it? Are you yep. going to service it? What happens? Yep. So we, we have three options. So we repair, replace, or send you a check. And so um, if we can't repair it, we replace it with the same make or model. If we can't find that make or model, we would give you the check that, that you paid for the TV originally. Seems like a very messy, complicated, expensive business to be in. Um. So it's a it's a difficult business because you have actuaries and you like you have to figure out the right pricing and all of that. Um, so in that case, yes, is but for the consumer, mm-hmm. it's really simple and easy, and that's all we care about. Like, how, we forgot the details. How many consumers are are using Upsea right thousands now? Thousands and thousands. We have customers in all fifty states across the country, um, and yeah, so we we have it, it's it's humbling to think about you know customers at this scale using our product. How are they finding you? Um, so we're really good at digital marketing. Um, our word of mouth is really strong, so customers share about us all over the place. Um, we do a ton of influencer marketing with, with different influencers around the country, which works really well. Um, so all like direct to consumer, very similar to like a, a Casper. And um, are there still big guys, whether it's retailers or insurance or other people who sell the more traditional warranties? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to put you out of business? Are they trying to compete <laughs> with you? Yeah, you know, so we believe, I'm going to answer that this question in a different direction. Uh, we believe that doing the right thing every day for our business. So being licensed, um, you know, making sure we're telling the truth to consumers, all of that. Like we don't worry about the big boys. And, and have they tried? Yes. Um, are we going anywhere? No. Hmm. There's been a lot of articles I've read um, locally and nationally about you and raising money. And I've seen both ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, I've seen articles that have talked about how you and your story have been part of the success. And on the other hand, as I mentioned when we started, that Fast Company article made it sound like, you know, you've really been hindered by your background. What's true? All of it. <laughs> All okay. true. Um, I, I think doesn't matter your color, doesn't matter your gender. Like raising money is hard, right? You got to understand that less than one percent of startup companies raise venture capital, um, but of that, less than one percent of that goes to African American founders. So why when, is that? Um, so I think people invest in people that look like them, mm-hmm. and if you look at venture capital, like they're mostly white guys. So people feel comfortable investing in people that look like them. And I definitely don't look like any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and my background, I don't come from a lot of places that they come from. So um, I, I think that overall, when you look at the landscape of African-American founders, like most of us are just not in those rooms and in those circles growing up. So they tend to just like not get those investment dollars. Mm-hmm. So how have you worked past that because you have been raising money and and do you feel like you're raising enough money are you getting the traction you need or do you still feel like your background is working against you yeah you know uh, i think if your question is if i was a white boy would i have more money now yeah the answer is clear yes yes if i was white in silicon valley um with the same person I am today, if I was just a different color, mm-hmm. I, would, I would have a lot more money because the, the vision is that big. You know, you talk about a $47 billion industry that hasn't been tapped into from a consumer standpoint. Huge opportunity. Like, we think it's the level of, like, Uber, Airbnb in that level. Um, but does, again, it, does that anger you? No. Really? No. Why? How? How could that not? It, make, um, it makes me mad. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's my job to execute for our consumers. And what will happen will happen. 
It's kind of how I look at it. You think you'll get there? It's yeah, just without a, a doubt. Okay. Just a matter of time. So, so how do you do it and how do you, and I know that this is a topic that you're passionate about and that you talk about. I mean, how do you change things? How do you make it so that we're not still talking about the lack of diversity in VC money and in Silicon Valley in five years? Yeah, I don't think this will ever change. I don't think this is, uh, you're asking people to change their biases. And most people don't want to do that. Like I, I have my own biases, right? Like I hate roller coasters, so, <laughs> so so I don't go to Valley Fair. Like that's just that's your thing. That's just my thing, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm a bi- I have a bias against heights. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I don't see this changing. What I do see changing is I think you're going to see more entrepreneurs of color who are who are creating great businesses, and they're just going to out outshine everybody else right mm-hmm. like like I don't, I don't think it's it's uh it's not a mistake that i'm here today like we worked our tails off to get here and and and, and let me preface this like all of this credit every like the magazine the articles all that like i tell people like it's really cool i get to be like the guy out in front but this happens because of our team and the work that they do every day and the mission that they believe in. So I don't ever like to take any credit for any of this. I just get to be the cheerleader. Most You're just the, the pretty face yeah, behind I, it I guess. <laughs> I, I guess, right? Um, how big is your team at this point? Um, so we're a team of seven today. Okay. Um, and you know, we'll probably get to somewhere between 12 to 15 in the next 60 to 90 days. How much of your time is spent right now raising money and how exhausting is that versus thinking about the the business, the technology, the the growth of the actual company? Yeah. So when you raise, they say you need four to six months, right? So this last one took about four months or so. Um, and what will you do with that money? Um, we will put it towards um, headcount. So hiring like rock stars people um, and generating awareness for our business. So marketing, advertising, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what will happen in the next year? I mean, if if we talk again in in a year, yeah. where is Upsy going to be? Yeah. So hopefully, you know, then we're raising you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, hundred million dollars, whatever that looks like. Then, um, you know, if we execute on our our plan and things we need to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll be raising another round in twelve to fourteen months. Is that is that just the nature of this particular industry? You're just gonna have to keep raising. Um, I think that's the nature of a business that's trying to scale as quickly as we're trying to scale in consumer. Consumer just takes gobs and gobs of money to do because you're reaching individual consumers. Like it's not like you're going to a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just takes it takes money to scale. So it will be on that on that journey for a while. Is that? Do you like that part of it? I, I actually do. Like you know, you know what I like about it? If I was being candid. Yeah. What I really like about it is proving people wrong, right? So mm-hmm. there's so many people three years ago that said things like Upsy would never be anything because like and these these are VCs who are supposed to be the smartest people in the land. Um, Upsy will never be anything. Um as so many people here locally that wouldn't even like take the time to understand what, that what we're doing that we're angels and, and VCs. Um, and so I, I have a chip on my shoulder a lot of times about proving people wrong. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I think you can do that with grace, right? I think you can do it the right way. Um, you don't have to be like, like after we raised this last round, I don't have to be like, ah, I told you, right? Like you just continue to do the right thing and treat people the right way. Um, and I always say, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. Do you see yourself sticking with Upsy or selling it or what do you want to do? whatever God's plan is for this, like we, we will do like my, my goal is to build up C so that we can take care of customers at scale. Um, and whatever that looks like three to five years from now, 
like well you know, I'll, I'll be open to it but we're we're really focused on today and tomorrow and then the next day seeing what happens with, with with our customers and with upsy do you, are you in touch with your family do you ever get back to georgia i am you know so i, I see my family pretty regularly um they don't know this clarence so i spend a lot of time like educating them so growing up i used to be my in the house nickname was butter so that's what <laughs> my mom and my brothers and all of them called me um and then why um i was a butter ball i was a fat <laughs> like little baby um so they called me butter and um in the streets my nickname was smoky so uh so a lot of times I see people where I come from, whether it be family or in the streets, and they'll say, like, hey, Butter, and I'm like, my name is Clarence, right? And so uh, it's been a lot of educating my family on just, like, who I am today versus what they know me as. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a, a responsibility to to pay it forward? I do. How, <laughs> how are you doing that, yeah. and how will you do that in the future? Yeah, I feel such a sense of responsibility to the next wave of entrepreneurs that are coming um, to give them all the mistakes that I've made and hopefully let them avoid some of those. Um, our responsibility to my community at home to be a light for them to understand that like, no matter what you've done in your life, you can always come out of it and, and do something better. Um, and yeah, I feel responsible to my family. Like they are, They've, they've never seen a better life. Like, they don't know what that looks like. Um, and so what I'm hoping to show them is that, like, I'm changing the Bethia name. You know, I, 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 me and my wife talk about this all the time, and I get emotional about it. Like, I didn't want a son because I wanted, like, the Bethia name to stop. I wanted to change, like, hmm. the trajectory of, of the name. Um, and so then we had a son, and I had to change my thinking on that, that, like, I have to raise him in such a way that the Bethia name five generations from now is revered and, and, and not feared. So um, I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of effort doing that one. Yeah, I think you're on the right path. I hope so. Thank you for sharing your story. No It'll problem. be fascinating to watch Upsy continue to, to grow and evolve. Wish you the best of luck. Thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Stick around. We're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. So how do we move past biases in the startup space? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Professor Katerina Padet is chair of the Ethics and Business Law Department at Opus. Katerina, I found myself, when listening to, to Clarence, so inspired by what he's accomplished and yet also so frustrated to think about the, the barriers that he's encountered and just how much harder he has to work to get to the same place. Will exactly. it ever get better? Well, I hope so. I mean, I don't necessarily share his uh, resignation, if you will, about saying that there's nothing you can do really about the bias that people have. I, I do think there are things that people can do. And part of it is finding out what your biases are, because mm. a lot of them work subconsciously, as he rightly points out. And there are tools. So, for example, the Harvard has the implicit association test that um, allows people to find out if they have strong biases against gender, 
race, uh, political orientation, all kinds of things. And we know from research that once someone knows what their bias is, they have an opportunity to actually start counteracting that by some of the other experiences they have or how they set up processes and how they decide mm. and so forth. Interesting. So so what do we what do we take away from that? Do we all need to take this test or how do we how do we begin instituting that on a broader level? I think, you know, it doesn't hurt if everyone takes the test. I think it's it's hugely informative to just know what it is, you know, how your mind works. Mm-hmm. And particularly in in the entrepreneurial space, I think it's in the in the venture capitalist's own interest to say, all right, well, am I missing out on opportunities because of how my mind subconsciously works mm-hmm. and what kind of things do I need to be really careful about? Right. Another theme that was so critical to Clarence's story is mentorship and and finding those people who are going to to help you. Is, is that a, a, a way that we can fight some of the biases as well? Absolutely. And I think one of the the ways that this works is that it helps equalize the playing field. And the the way bias works is that it's often not necessarily that it makes you have a more negative view of someone who is not like you, but it makes you have a more positive view of people who are like you. So mm. it's easier for you to give someone who looks like you the benefit of the doubt. And in the entrepreneurial space, there's so much that you don't know about the entrepreneur's idea, who they are. And so in having Having a mentor, it helps the entrepreneur to get that leg up because the mentor is almost like a proxy or they they can vouch Mm -hmm. for that person and give them the opportunities to meet the people they need to meet. Wow. So get some mentors. Exactly. Know your biases. Yes. And then begin working to counteract them. Exactly. Okay. Great advice. Thank you, Katerina. Thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.